TG Geeks, episode 168, May 7th, 2018. What do the tarot and East L.A. have to do with anything? Hello and welcome to another webcast from TGGeeks.com, where Ben and Keith, the two gay geeks, talk about all aspects of geekdom and nerdery. Sci-fi, comics, film, horror, genre, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Keith Lane. We're coming to you from TG Squared Studios in lovely, it's hot again, Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm Brand Ra- I mean Ben Raginton, also coming to you from, <laughs> is it summer already? Here in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, it's uh, getting hot again. We had a couple I'm of tired. days tired of, of it already. respite. Yes, but uh, now we're going to face four months of this nastiness. Maybe yeah. we can escape for a while. Oh, with any luck. <laughs> yeah, if we win the lottery. I need, we no, you know, we need a weathered ma- uh, a magic user who's experienced in weather magic. Yeah, there we go. And speaking of, mm, was that we, clever? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, an interview with an author. This will be his first novel to be released, and it is due out on June the twelfth. It's called The Last Sun, and we're going to talk to the author right now, and then we're going to probably have a little follow up after that. So here we go. And this time we have a really special guest, a first-time author. Well, not writer, but he's an author, author, author of a an actual book, and it is K. D. Edwards, author of The Last Son. What an incredible book! It has not oh. been released yet, but we I had am, we got advanced copies. I am so excited about this. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so tell us who who is Katie Edwards, and how did you come up with this, you know, how did you get into the writing business, and then yeah, we'll talk yeah. about the book. Oh, God, I've been, I'm one of those people who, as far back as I can remember, um, from just when I was reading, you know, picture books, I wanted to be a writer, it's literally nothing but my dream to get to this point. Um, but it was uh, kind of a long process to get here. Um, and this is my first published novel, though I've been writing off and on for many years now. And it's just been kind of a dream so far, um, finding, going through the process of, for a long time I thought that maybe I would take the self-publishing route, but my friends convinced me to go ahead and send my novel to an agent. And everything has fallen in place like a dream. Getting the agent, um, you know, finding a publisher in my first go-around, signing a two-book contract. So that's a bit of, of where I am. As for who K.D. Edwards is, uh, since that's my pen name, I guess he could be whoever I want him to be. So I'm kind of excited about building that personality, too. <laughs> well, well, God! I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a little background into who you are, you know, we can stay with your pen name, but what have you... What have you done in your life that that has brought you to writing and and considering that as a career? Oh man, I think everything. I <laughs> just one of those people who didn't really come. I'm in human resources right now, and I work for the University of North Carolina. And getting to this point of figuring out my profession during the day was HR. It took me a long time. I'm one of those people who came to his career later in life, but before them, I. I I couldn't even remember all the jobs I've had. I went from, uh, worked in publishing for a while, was a legal assistant in an international bank, become a paralegal, became a diversity consultant, worked for interactive television um, well before the days of of what we consider interactive now, Uh, worked as a GIS mapper for the Forest Service, worked in a regional department store, worked on the regional department store regional team, I've I've touched on everything. We're for startup companies that created bariatric furniture. Wow. I was very much a jack of all trades. I was going to say well, you invented the term. <laughs> exactly. So, ha- have you ever been in the restaurant business? 
I did actually, one of the jobs Nuts. I had, mercifully short, mercifully <laughs> short, was Starbucks. I was a Starbucks store manager for about nine months. Um, pretty much <laughs> it was one of the most embarrassing jobs I've ever had. Turns out I'm not a very good uh, food retail manager type of person, but it was uh, part of the chain that really got me to this point, so I don't regret, any, regret anything. Yeah, well, that that's cool. I, you know, I've done a little bit of everything, and but for the last so 20, 20 years, I've been in the healthcare industry. So Ditto. It, uh, it, it's kind of interesting how we uh, – I, I never dreamed that – I would be in healthcare or be doing what we're doing ben now. We're doing right now. You know, it's just, I didn't think that was what I was going to do when I grew up. I didn't know what I was going to so. do. No, grown up, I'm, I'm still working on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, the, I, landing where I am now is probably just the best job I've ever had. Working for any university system, it's, it's a job where you can really kind of, you know, go home at the end of the day and feel like you're doing something worthwhile. I mean, there's a lot of value in my job and, and its mission and what it does with higher education in the state. So I, I'm ridiculously lucky between, you know, having a, a hobby that pays me money that I enjoy doing in the evening and having a job I love during the day. That's incredible. Nice. So we're really kind of here to talk about The Last, Last Sun. Sun. Now, it, it, this is really kind of a, an odd thing that we, we the way we wound up talking to you here was simply a retweet or a a response to a tweet that we had been tagged in and your your twitter profile and and everything it sounded interesting the premise i mean you kind of have a a, a very short premise of the book on your twitter profile or I believe you did at that ta- time anyway. <laughs> and I just reached out to you and uh, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this has been a wild ride. Oh, that so, that's an understatement. Yeah, to to be able to uh, be in contact with you and then get an advanced copy, reading copy of this book and I I assume we can say that, but <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I I'm telling you I was engrossed from the first page. It, I, I, I've, this, read, it, I've this, read it twice now. Yeah, this <laughs> this book is one of the best things that I have read in years, uh, and I, I am not blowing smoke. It it just knocked me for a loop, and I was just like wrecked when I got to the last page. Yeah, you guys, I. This is all a new experience for me, just figuring out, you know, how people find out about my book and, and connecting with them on social media. And um, I, I can't thank you enough for what you're saying. It's um, really building my self-confidence. Well, um, I, had, I, I tell you, you know, releasing a book into the wild is, is a huge thing. I think there's one author who described it as it's like raising a child and then mm-hmm. opening the door and putting the child out in the front yard and then, you know, watching his wolves descend on them. Yeah. You have no idea what to expect from this point, whether, you know, what you thought of the book is what other people are going to think, whether the beta feedback you got was accurate or not. It's just such a gamble. And um, so far the experience has been incredibly worthwhile because of people like you. So, Well, for someone to, you know, be a first time author and to put something out of that kind of quality I mean, it's it. it I ha- I had to keep like slapping myself and thinking, you know, th- this is we're not. I'm not reading the works of somebody who's been at the writing business and publishing books for for years. But it seems like it. But it feels like <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly, it really does. I mean, I was I was so impressed with the, everything about it. Though your storytelling, the the world itself, which I, I want to ask some questions oh, about. Oh, God, you know, if, so if you many tell, questions. But, you know, obviously, based on what happens in this first book, is you're probably not going to be free with a lot of details. But well, Especially I, since it's not out yet. <laughs> yeah, especially since it's not out. But how did you come up with this concept? I guess that's the that's That was the my next I question. Have. I think it's a, you know, anyone who tells you that they can just sit down in front of a computer and write a story and expect it to go well, it's, you know, there are many people who can do something like that. I think I, like a lot of um, published writers, they work their butts off. Um, I would say it was about, I don't know, five or seven years ago now where I really kind of looked in the mirror and said, I, I have the day job I love, and now it's time to spend some time on 
my dream job, which is writing. And I set about learning. This is the, the story I'm writing now, and I'm obviously happy to talk about it and what I have planned for the rest of the series. This is the book that I wanted to write, but I knew that I wasn't at the point to write it about five years ago. So I've got several manuscripts sitting in a drawer that will never, ever, ever see the light of day. I really spent a few years doing nothing but practicing how to write novels before I even tried to do something like this. This, The Last Sun, is, is, it's a complicated story in the sense of it has very deep world-building elements. Um, the relationship between the characters and especially their banter and their dialogue, it's almost like comic timing. And it is. I worked very, <laughs> very hard to get to the point where I kind of looked at my computer screen and said, okay, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to tell Brune and Brand's story. Um, I've always been attracted to... Uh, the genre kind of changes. Uh, you know, a few years back, people would use the phrase urban fantasy to describe it. And I've always called it modern fantasy, which is taking the world as we know it and just adding some um, creepy and strange and surreal things around the corner. And it's, it's, it's always been the type of story I've been attracted to, to do something with incredibly visual, deep world building, um, uh, well, that guy, I guess that's kind of the overview about it. I mean, it, it is the first in a series. Um, I have nine novels planned. I am an incredibly detailed outliner. If you talk with writers, they'll explain you have some people who aren't very good with outlines and just sit in front of a computer and, and sees what flows out them. For me, outlines have already worked. And I have um, incredibly comprehensive outlines. Yeah. So I, it, even the novel I'm working on now, usually novels, I think, kind of come in around 100,000 words. And when I started writing book two of Tarot Sequence, I started with a 40,000-word outline. And wow. literally, that's just the outline of the story. And mm. for me, that's how it works. So I also, it gives me the perspective of knowing what I want each story to be for a nine-book series, you know, God willing, that I'll get the chance to tell. Um, and also to build elements of what happens in the future into Easter eggs that are in this novel. And I think mm. that's one of that's one of the things I have most fun with the story, right. um, trying to hide some things that become incredibly relevant down the road. Oh, Forcing yeah. people I, to have to go back and read past books. Yeah. Oh, I see how you're working this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you're sly. <laughs> absolutely, because on on the second read, there were a couple of things that I picked up. It's like, oh, I see now. How well, that- I remember um, Robert Jordan. He writes these incredibly long um, fantasy novels, and in his very first novel, he had this prophetic sequence where a character has all these flashes of images, and sure enough, every one of those images becomes relevant for that entire exhaustive series. And I always love playing around with that idea. Right. So di- I assume that you did some uh, significant research on tarot and 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 you know. I- whatever well i, I kind of want to back up just, i want to back up just a little bit because this is a fascinating story i mean it's everything revolves around the tarot deck i mean you've got you, you, all the different thrones you've got you know your son you get uh, and there's others uh, all sorts of characters that are all represented in the tarot deck where did you get this idea to develop an entire fantasy series based on the tarot well and they're, they're Atlanteans, too. Well, yeah, and now throw an Atlantis on top of that. I mean, wow. Where, where, where are you pulling that out of? I had a friend who cornered me once, and he's like, but what research did you do on Atlantis before you wrote it? Like, you know, it's kind of a myth. I, I, heard, I heard the name yeah, and knew the history. It sounded really cool. Um, I think that as a writer, one of the things that you always want to do is you want to create your own system or your own world and your own world building and your own um, system of magic, at least as a fantasy writer. So, well, I, I definitely have always been invested in the concept of the tarot cards. I, I love doing tarot card readings. I think they're a great tool for meditation. I think they're colorful and rich and, and deep in meaning. And I, I suppose at one point I thought, wow, wouldn't this be a good framework for a story? And so that became the backbone for this system of magic in this story. And Atlantis and the idea of, in general, lost cultures and lost civilizations um, has always kind of attracted me. The element of the unknown, I think, you know, people can always pull something from them. There's a reason that lost civilizations are mythologies that endure because, um, you know, it's as, it's as, as, as broad and deep as your own imagination, imagining what's, what it must have been like. Exactly. So between those two elements, and also, you know, obviously Atlantis, like I said, doesn't exist. You can't 
you know, get a train ticket and go and visit it. So it afforded me a lot of latitude in creating what I wanted to do. <laughs> you bet. And all the pieces just came together. Um, uh, you know, the idea that it takes place after, well after, decades after Atlantis has been revealed to the world, um, which happened in the 60s, um, when space exploration really took off and they were able to see through the spells that had shrouded the island for millennia um, from space and realize that there was a big honking island in the middle of the North Atlantic. Oh, this is um, a nice little backstory. It is. You know, I started the novel. It, it has like a three-page prologue. And one of the only things that – I had a charmed experience working with my editor and my agent both. They, there's very little that they had me change. Um, the One of the things they asked for is to remove the prologue. And they asked for so little, I went ahead and did that because they wanted the reader to get immersed in the stories and, and, and learn – about the civilization as the novel went on, but I, there is a backstory to it, and know, this takes place like decades that. after Atlantis was revealed. And when it was revealed, you know, humanity responded by you know firing missiles at them essentially, and there was a war. And this takes place after the Atlantis homeland has been destroyed, and the Atlanteans are refugees and essentially take over the island of Nantucket, and um, a process which they call outwardly the settlement of Nantucket, but internally called the unsettlement of Nantucket because they'd been steadily buying real estate for decades as a backup plan if they ever needed to relocate. And they created this um, you know, staggering city called New Atlantis by translocating or teleporting abandoned human ruins from across the world. So for me, when you talk about research, it's not so much that I did research on tarot decks or on Atlantis, but I have done exhaustive research on human ruins um, and making those part of the backdrop. Well, Absolutely. It's more than that. Yeah, the, the way you uh, describe some of them and the history that you give of yes. some of those buildings is, you know, I but I'm one of those people and uh, that has to know that the details. <laughs> yeah, but but you're you're right. I mean, I remember uh, reading about there's there's one particular building. I'm not going to you know, go into too much detail here for the the interview, but yeah, there there was one particular building that is referenced and then there's all this history that surrounds it and i just remember at one point i literally put the book down and i just thought when did he have time to research all of this <laughs> because if he did he would have no time to write oh it's so much fun though i that's one of my favorite parts um i mean the the novel i'm working on now the hangman i spent a year a year researching battleships for one chapter in that book wow and for me, that's just like, I, I, that's one of the best parts of writing. Yeah. Um, to, to, to do their research and feel you're somewhat a, a, of an expert or at least knowledgeable and to somehow translate that on a page. And especially with those building descriptions in The Last Sun, it's a challenge because that's not part of the dialogue in the scene. That's what I, I call standalone exposition. And to make those interesting to a reader and not feel like an info dump, that's a challenge for any writer. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that's been most rewarding in the sense of the feedback I've gotten from people that they have been interested to read that. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. That, it can be it, tricky because this is a first-person book. I mean, it's 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 all being told from the point of view of Rune. Uh, Rune. Yeah. So it, it, I thought it was interesting. Now, I... I love stories where I'm just immediately thrown in and, you know, kind of go for it and then get all of the little details. And Ben is kind of the not other quite. way around. I'm the other way around. I mean, and that's why I would have loved the prologue myself. I, I kinda, yeah, I'm thinking about posting it, actually, either on my website or they had given me the option of making it an appendix. And I could kick myself. I should have gone back and taken them up on it. But I think I'm definitely going to work it in to the novel two. I think yeah, I by the time say, novel two comes along, that's a good point to talk more about the history. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it's it, there's I'm sure there's a great point we could actually kind of, you know, from Rune's perspective or in the midst of a conversation with somebody, you know, he we get that little bit of a backstory as to why things are the way they are with the Atlanteans. You know, I mean, not that I really need it now because I'm more engrossed in some of the things that are happening now and what will be happening to our characters down the road. But Keith is right. I'm I'm not one of these big fans personally of being thrown right into the middle of the mix. He he wants the world building to happen. I like the world building to happen a <laughs> before little before we are thrown into the mix. Yeah. I mean, you know, but the one thing that that a la Dune, Alan Smithy version. Oh uh, well, well we have, we have another. We're friends with another writer um, uh, named Jeannie Koch. She she's currently in Atlantis, and uh, I wouldn't mind putting the two of you together because I think you two could have just lots to talk about. And she's the she's one of the other authors that has just written one of the greatest series that I've ever read. 
But her world building, um, it, it all starts with her books. It's very present day. It's very normal. It's very mundane. And then the world building happens right from page one. With with uh, with Last Son, yeah, we are kind of thrown into it. But it was Keith's reaction. It was the fact that he was so engrossed in this, and I thought, okay, there's got to be something to this. I've got to persevere because, so you know, I I have to get over my own limitations uh, in order to be able to appreciate this. And once I started to kind of, you know, uh, wrap my head around some of the details, then I found I found the mystery to be uniquely compelling. And, and well, it also helps that you wrote some of the most awesome characters ever. Yeah. And, oh, I, yeah. I have fun with those characters. They're they're my alter egos. Well, and and I'm I'm going to throw something out here, and if somebody doesn't know and picks the book up, then they're going to find out anyway. But you introduce a gay element to this, and, and oh, it's yes. so subtle and just it's just matter of fact it just and, it's just there it's just there and it, it's not a a big thing and and yeah. i was i thought it was fabulous i did too i think oh, oh sorry go ahead i no, I was going to say i did too i thought it was wonderful yeah it's i one of the things that i'm just so proud of my publisher that they that was never a thing i mean to the point where after they first wanted to make the offer um and then made a, an offer for two books the first two novels in the series like I actually had to call back and ask them if they were worried about the fact that the main character identified as gay. I mean, it didn't come up in the conversation. It, everything was about what they loved about the story and the relationships and the setting. And I was the one who had to introduce that element. But that's my goal as a writer. Um, I There are certain urban fantasy stories, modern fantasy stories that I adore. And I, I've got to say that a lot of the gay literature out there, the focus is on being gay. Um, it's it's a strong part of the plot, and what I want to do is I want to write these mainstream, you know, mysteries and sci-fi stories and young adult novels with main characters who just happen to be gay. That it, it's just another element of the story. It is not the element of the story. And um, you know, Pyre gave me the op- opportunity to tell the story. And as I said, this is my goal. What with this series and with the other novels I want to write in different series, I always want the characters. I want young gay and lesbian um, people to see themselves in the story. Yeah, I want oh, to, them to see themselves reflected in it. Oh, I did absolutely, totally. You know, I and I I'm going to give a, away a little bit of the. Um, Are you going to do a spoiler review that I read? Oh, your review wrote that will come out in conjunction with this um, interview. But I thought I was this was so wonderful, and I said that he goes on a quest. And it's not unlike a Dungeons and Dragons quest, only with cars and cell phones. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I thought it, it it so sums up the book. I mean, it really is. You have all of these characters that really are characters or members of a party, uh, you know, for those that have played Dungeons and Dragons. And you have all of these things, these uh, accoutrements, shall we say, to... Um, yeah, go they, on this they, quest. Yeah, they acquire objects and exactly. whatnot. It's like I almost expect them to open up, you know, like you know, like like an inventory list <laughs> of all the things they. And if actually, I think in the book they do. And and I think. Oh God, yeah. Well, especially Rune with his, you know, his magical. He unlike a lot of people of his um, level of position and authority, he has a very limited set of magical items. So you're absolutely right. I I actually have a sheet that I have on every scene that talked about his inventory right because it's the amount of spells for instance he can store so limited that i actually kind of almost like plan it like the the campaign right and then there's there's brands stuff i i loved the way you described him doing this and doing that and he has a pocket for this and a pocket for that and then oh my god there's a pocket for that (laughs) so yeah, I actually did do research on that, too. There are all sorts of websites out there on tactical clothing. Um, you know, some of the the Internet, you, all you have to do is ask a question, and you're amazed what you get hit with. Exactly. But, exactly. Well, this was... The, um, I, you know, the thing that, especially around um, featuring gay characters, and it's been ex- an experience trying to figure out, again, I, I don't want this to be considered gay science fiction. I want this to be science fiction that happens to have gay characters. And... When I first rolled this out, I'm part of a writing group, and it's filled with a um, very diverse group of people, but I'm the only 
gay person on the group. So to have other writers, especially the straight males in the group, um, who've never really read any fiction with gay characters, read my story and see how they were reacting to it, that was an eye-opener. That was the first time I'd realized that I'd been pigeonholing myself. I'd been marginalizing myself. I didn't trust the reader to find the story through the fact that one of the main characters was gay. And indeed, they did. I mean, the, the way they connected with Rune completely bowled me over. I just would not have expected it. If anything, I a lot of the straight men who've read it actually seem to feel very protective of Rune. Oh, really? Wow, that's, that's Interesting. Cool. Rune Schmoon, give me Brand. <laughs> yeah. Brand is the funnest person to write. Oh, he, my God. I love that guy. What I want to say in, in meetings and on the street and in two long lines at the grocery store and when someone cuts me off of traffic, yeah. he's my voice. <laughs> okay, well, oh, this, absolutely. And now I, this brings the question. <laughs> this, this, I ask yep. this of every single writer that, that we talk to. Uh and of course, you know, each of these characters, they are uniquely different that we've come across to the point where I could almost hear different voices in my head as I was reading it. So as you, the author, do these care, are these characters now fully, fully realized in your head? Do they speak to you or do they guide you? And, oh, you know, and the, like if they were really there in the room with you as you are writing. You have no idea. I, I told you that I'm a very comprehensive outliner. And I have, for the entire tarot sequence, I have well over 300,000 words wow. in, in brainstorming notes for the rest of the series. And about 20% of them are brand one-liners. Oh, uh, they're they're literally the things that happen during the day where all of a sudden I heard I hear brand speaking in the back of my head. <laughs> I just stop and I write it down because it's going to be a perfect line in a scene someday. And I yeah. can't repeat um, any of those. Yeah, exactly. there, There's one in particular I don't, I cannot repeat unless we get an explicit tag. And uh, I think we all know which one I'm talking about. Yes. It's the beginning of a chapter and it's like, holy crap, I, I, I literally dropped the book. I was in a store. Well, actually, I was, I, was, uh, I was at a dealership having my car worked on and and there was all these people around, and I hit this one part. Keith kept saying, wait till you get to this one section. And I got to it, and I literally started convulsing. <laughs> because I it was, it was either that or I just fall on the floor laughing out loud hysterically uh, at the because of the context of the situation. Exactly. Oh, I can't, and I can't repeat it. Oh, it's it's going to be one of my favorite stories forever to say that the the first line that people quoted back to me was one of Brand Swears. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's epic. Yeah, and he is so snarky. I, I he, love, I love him, Brand. <laughs> I love him. You know, and one of the things that just I, I, you know, okay, yeah, I, now we're deep. Geeking. Let's be real. We are now deep geeking on this book. The relationships that you have created are just beautiful yeah, in this are. book. I mean, despite the fact that there's this very bizarre, almost antagonistic banter between Rune and Brand, I mean, oh my God, these two guys really... I mean, they're, they're, their relationship that they have is beyond description. Yeah, I it's been it's a joy to write them. I any scene that doesn't have the two of them together is always a scene that I dread approaching and getting through because the way they play off each other. You say at some point you you hear them in your head, and those two, uh, I think that one of the best compliments I ever had is one of the other people in my writing group said that they could sit there and listen to Rune and Brand recite tax code. i mean they could read a phone book and and find value in the conversation because they do they're they play off each other they've known each other from the crib i mean brand is um bonded to rune he's what we call in this world a companion with a capital c and he was he's human he was a human child um designed to be Rune's lifelong body bodyguard. And this was in the days when Rune was wealthy and he had a court around him. And um, part of the whole arc of the story is that, you know, years ago, Rune's court fell and he's now essentially a fallen prince. But is he still has brand with him. And the two just know each other like, the, you know, the back of their hands. And I, I wanted their relationship to be caustic and funny, but also at, at the heart of it, just incredibly loyal and, you know, moments of genuine affection. I mean, these are two people who could not walk the world without each other. No. And just writing them because of that is, it's probably, it's definitely one of the deepest relationships I've ever created in a novel. That's for sure. There there are several, several scenes that, 
really give you that. Oh, they, they give you the feels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they there are several. I mean, yeah, I, I just kept looking at these two thinking, wow, uh, it, it's beautiful. I mean, yes, you dig beneath the surface of the, the snark that is there, uh, but you see these two guys really uh, have uh, – affection feels like an understatement. That is exactly what I want people to get from this story. It so really does. Having you guys say it just it, – it, this is what I set out to do, and you're making me feel like I accomplished that. So you guys, uh, oh. thank you very much for that. <laughs> I mean, I mean they, they love each other. I mean, it's all there is to it. I mean, they love each other, but they're not, but, they're not yeah. a couple in the traditional sense. But yeah, I think why do they love the each other? Early reviews I got from someone else who read an advanced copy was they said that it's a celebration of all forms of male love, and I yeah. thought that was kind of a cool line. That's a good line. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, it is. There are different types of relationships in this story, and you know, different characters react to each other in different ways. Rune and Brand are the heart of my story. They're mm-hmm. the heart of of everything I have planned for the rest of the series. But it's it's rewarding when other people see what I had hoped they would see when I created them. Right. So there was, there's, it's just a fascinating story, and, I, and we can't talk about it without, I know, without, without really giving spoiling, anything away. Spoiling, and it's spoiling. just like, oh my God. I know, because there's just so much here. We'll do that after the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, when the interview's over, then we'll, yeah, we'll talk privately. Yeah, off the record. Uh, but we, so how long were you, because you said, I guess you went through a lot of rewrites on this. How long from the moment of inception to, you know, completion? Well, Did I need to rewrite take? on this. This is actually, uh, this is a first draft for the most, well, not a first draft, but I had written other books. Um, I practice on other stories and other storylines before I set to actually create um, the tarot. I called it the tarot accounts. For years, it was the tarot accounts in my head, but the publisher had changed it to the tarot sequence. But um, so this is actually, this isn't a, a rewrite. This is the novel as it's kind of always existed in my head. Um, the other novels I will not talk about. Like I said, they are buried in the back of a drawer somewhere. Yeah, but there, you, you've also written something else that uh, that I picked up before we actually even talked. I, I because I want, I wanted to see, are you somebody that we wanted to talk to? <laughs> you know, I mean, we do that, and <laughs> thank God, what I read, it was, uh, what was it in a, an anthology? My writing group, um, as a just a kind of a fun exercise, created a world together um, and self-published an anthology set in that world. Uh, and one of my stories, and it was, or the story from me, was called The Grasshopper Song. Yeah, I I really loved that. It was a great little short story. I I, I it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the novel, the, the anthology is called Doom Days. Um, yes. I definitely, at some point, want to go back to those characters, though. I had a lot of fun because it, it's a post-apocalyptic world. That's another genre I absolutely adore. If there's, you know, such room for creativity and something like that. Um, and I, I will definitely go back to that story someday. Yeah, well, I hope so because I, I really like that story and it, it left me wanting more because I, I could see that there was more to, more to come, shall we say. <laughs> One of the things that has, I think, got me to this point is the fact that I'm a member of a really good writing group. We call ourselves the Writer's Cramp, and we've been together for years now. And membership kind of comes and goes, but a core team has been there for quite a while. And the ability for to kind of invest yourselves long-term in people's writing, uh, to get immediate feedback on what you're writing, it, it leveled me up as a writer. Oh, and so that was the group that we created that anthology together just as a fun exercise and also to see what self-publishing would be like on Amazon. So right. that was a good experience. Yeah. Well, I, I picked it. I haven't read uh, any of the other stories, but I read yours specifically in, in hopes of, of being able to see what it was that you have written before. Do I like your style of writing? Is it something interesting? And then then I contacted you, and, and I, of course, I was immediately invested <laughs> in what you had to do. We were, we were ready to talk to you before we even read the advanced copy, reading oh, copy. Oh, so I know. <laughs> that, was a, that was a cool thing to, well, to come I, up with. Yeah, and then halfway through the book, I'm like, oh, I want to talk to him now. Yeah, so. I want to talk, talk, talk to you right away because, wow. I mean, yeah, there's it, nothing a writer likes hearing more than that. that I, you know, I, I like know the that, moments that really make you want to 
put down the book and go talk to someone about it. Um, I, God knows I love those moments when I read other authors' stuff. So knowing that people are doing that with my work is a bit mind-blowing. Yeah. Well, Keith, because, uh, because Keith's job, uh, he has greater flexibility at times with his job than I do with mine. Mine's a bit more rigid. I, I so, work from home. so that, And I, I only get to work from home a little bit. So he had more flexibility. So he was able to get to the book a lot faster than I could. Uh, so he he was already finished when I was when I was like about a quarter of the way in, and he all he could say you were was, in five pages because you couldn't get you kept falling asleep. Well, because it was late <laughs> at night, I was tired. It was not easy. Anyway, when he finally well, I know, make, like I, you're right, I throw you into this novel. I literally the first two novels literally begin mid dialogue. I literally because I remember starting it, I'm thinking. You never know where to start sometimes. And I was just staring at that screen. And then I finally said, you know, to hell with it. I'm literally going to start in the middle of a line of dialogue. And that's going to be my thing. <laughs> well, why not? Well, it so, could be a good gimmick. Yeah. So tell us what what is in store. Because this, uh, dear listeners, this book isn't out yet. So no, tell us yet. about that and when it's coming out so that they can go buy it pre-order pre-order and because i know that because genie says pre-orders are absolutely gold to writers oh absolutely i keep in mind this is an entirely new experience for me i have no prior experience in publishing to know what's normal and what's not normal um i know that my Publisher takes care of, uh, of most of those details, and they've just been incredible to work with. Everything, like I said, wor- working with the editor, um, Brini Sears, was just just an exceptional experience. Uh, working with the illustrator, that was the, the only thing that really worried me about getting published. For some reason, the only thing that I dreaded was the cover. Um, it just seemed to me that all this time you put it in a novel, what if the cover is awful? And yet it turned out to be one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, I love the, the cover. The author is on Micah Epstein, and it's just it, it, it just the experience blew me away. His you know the ability to collaborate with him to to let him know what was important for me, and for him to take it and a represent it faithfully so that the characters match exactly what was in my head, but also to create his own metaphor um, with the broken stained glass um, like sun tarot card image in the background, right. applying his own metaphor, which meshed perfectly with the story. It was it just a mind-blowingly awesome experience that's cool so when does the book release june 12th is june when 12th. it releases and that can be found um ben's looking at it look, yeah it, it can be it found, can on, be amazon. found on amazon where else yeah it's on? a pre-order on amazon on barnes and noble um independent booksellers i have some buy links on my main webpage. it's 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 <laughs> the the pub date is barreling in on me yeah. So. Well, it's not just that, but your next book is available for uh, down uh, a pre-order as well, The Hanged Man. Well, I don't know. I didn't even know it was available for pre-order. It I don't is. know when the actual pub date is. It says September, but I... September 18th, dubious. to be precise. Yeah, yeah I can't. I, I, it's, it, <laughs> I, I haven't really figured that part out yet, that they're actually going to publish it within several months of the first book. But I do know that it's... I'm almost done with the manuscript, and they've already received like the first um, big, huge one-third chunk of it, and I've gotten great feedback from them. I mean, the second novel has just been a, a joy to write. Yeah. It's been as painless as anything I've ever written in my life. Yeah, but right. I, you are like The series is planned. It is a... I've always envisioned it as a nine-book series with three separate, distinct story arcs. And one of the main mysteries of the whole story is... When Rune was 15 years old, mm-hmm. his, his his throne was destroyed, and exactly. they've never caught who did it. They never caught who killed his father and um, basically destroyed the sun throne. And the, one of the things in the novel, and I don't know if you picked up on this, I try to be subtle in some cases, but Rune is not always a reliable narrator. There's something he's keeping from the reader. Oh, and, yes! And Absolutely. I am very deliberate at how I'm pacing those revelations. And the first three novels are the reader finding out what Rune is keeping from them. The big right. mystery around yeah, what Yeah, that was do. one of the things. Yeah, that, yeah we like, talked about that in private. We have some ideas. <laughs> yeah. But I will never that. breathe a hint of that. That's that's because that is that well, is the it's integral to the storytelling, yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's well, so, yeah, exactly. And then I'm hoping that three novels after that is going to be more Rune finding out things he did not know about that night um, and how it ties into the larger threat that Atlantis is going to face. And then the last three novels are hopefully pure endgame. Um, and I know 
you know, each novel has its own flavor, whether it be a mystery or, or some sort of quest, as we talk about in D&D language. And I know exactly what I want to happen in every novel. I know who the main characters are. Um, I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for some of the mysteries that happen in the future, even now in the first novel. I have a very good idea where I want to take this series. So, you know, as good a reaction as I can get to the first two novels will hopefully give me that opportunity. Cool. Well, man, I'm what, just... What I'm do just, we say next? I know. Yeah. I, I'm just overwhelmed. <laughs> and, yeah, I can't say anything because it would spoil, except um, listeners, wow, if you really mm-hmm. enjoy a good a good adventure, and I know yeah. we keep referring, you know, we make parallels to, like, D&D and all that, but that's... Uh, your review, Keith, was, was spot on when you call it, like, a and d quest. I mean, it really is. This is an adventure, and it is amazing, and it has some of the best characters I've ever read, and one of the greatest mysteries that has just got me on the hook. So, uh, listener, you have to pre-order this book. Find it on Amazon. So, um, Keith, for anybody who wants to know more about the book, where can they... I haven't they... written a book. Not you. Oh. Keith, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the two easiest ways to reach me, I do have a website. It's kd-edwards.com uh, in the process of rehabilitating parts of it, though it is fitted out now with um, my cover art, and it's tied to my Twitter account, which is the other easy way to reach out to me. I, I When I started, I, I began Twitter as I was approaching being a writer, a published writer, when I knew that was on the horizon. So the entire Twitter experience for me has been tied to my my, my literature self. So that is, uh, I constantly am you know, messaging people through that, and it's been a pretty cool experience. But that is KD. Oh, hold on one second. I just changed the name because you know what? I had, when I first created the Twitter account, I had no idea I was creating my Twitter handle when I named it. Uh-huh. And because of that, people said, you, you sound like a Russian bot. Yeah. <laughs> it, literally, it, was, it was KD599999. Oh, my. And it, it made no sense whatsoever. So I recently changed it. So it's now at KD Edwards underscore NC. Oh my word! Okay, yeah. So that this has been really great. I please everybody that's listening, go pre-order this book or buy it when it comes out. You will not be. You won't be sorry. Will not be sorry. You won't regret it. This this is one of the like I said. It really is one of the finest things I've ever read. You guys have made my day. Well, Keith, thank you for being on the show with us this time. Thank you. This is Michael R. Menengay, master of model trains and aquariums. You're listening to the Two Gay Geeks. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I pulled that one out. I thought that Wow, that was fun. cute. <laughs> yeah. Here's a few selected birthdays for May 7th through May 13th, 2018. May 7th, Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky. Yeah. And Johannes Brahms. And Edwin H. Land. Edwin H. Land was the founder of the Polaroid Corporation. Oh. He invented the Land Camera, as it was originally called, and then it was the Polaroid Camera. Ah. And actually, when he pr- produced the that first Polaroid Camera, or Land Camera, they went on sale at Christmas time. They only produced 57 units. How they hot sold a sale out was it? Within an hour. Yeah, I was going to say, how hot of a sale was that? <laughs> it was, well, they, they thought they would be in stock for a while and they would have time to produce more, but they sold all 57 units in a matter of hours. I'm not surprised, to be honest. Yeah. But he did lots of things. And the, his real, where he really started was making polarized filters. Aha. Uh-huh. So, and then kind of uh, did the, Automatic film, shall we say, if you want to, for lack of a better term. So, interesting. I used to have one of those old land cameras, so mm-hmm. it's kind of fascinating. But one of the original ones, it got lost in a shuffle. But eBay. Uh, yep. Exactly. Try to find another. One. Try to replace it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also on May seventh, Daniel DeGrado, uh, Italian filmmaker living in Sweden. That we've talked oh, to. that's right. <laughs> and Beth Accomando, who is with Horrible Imaginings Film Festival and KPBS in uh, uh, San Diego. 
May 8th, Stephen Amell. And, you know, we've kind of got a little six degrees with Stephen Amell now. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, because we know Katrina Law. There we go. And John Michael Talbot, as well as Don Rickles on May 8th. May 9th, Billy Joel, Rosario Dawson, and Howard Carter. Howard Carter was the one that discovered King Tut's tomb for uh, in the employ of Lord ah. Carnarvon. In 1922, I think it was, he discovered that. Sounds about right. May 10th, Fred Astaire, David O. Selznick, and Bono. Not Sonny Bono. Not Sonny, that's Bono. (laughs) Oh! This is Bono, the... The Bono guy. He's got yeah, so it's it's a one name thing, you know, yeah. like like Wong, yeah, or Madonna, or Cher, or Cher, yeah, but not. No. <laughs> May eleventh, Salvador Dali and Foster Brooks. How I I, 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 I put of... Foster Brooks in here because you were watching. Foster yeah, Brooks. I came across a whole <laughs> collection of Foster Brooks videos when he would appear on Dean Martin's. Uh, Man of the Hour roasts, yeah, and was and just laughing hysterically at it because they're they're just outrageously funny even for that day. Yeah, well, so how you, what you listened to it long after I went to bed. Well, it was a little, every... little bit of Foster Brooks goes a long it way. way. It can, yeah, it can. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, it was every appearance that he did with Dean Martin. Yep, and also on May 11th, Richard Feynman, who is a celebrated physicist, and Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha, Martha Graham, Graham, Martha Graham, and Irving Berlin. May 12th, Bruce Boxleitner, Domhnall Gleeson, Rami Malek, Catherine Hepburn, Gabrielle Faure, and Jules Massenet, as well as friend of the show, Tim Callender. May 13th, Beatrice Arthur and Stevie Wonder. And that's it for the birthdays this time. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek, too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week... Keep it geek. Go give us get go yeah. Go give a listen to our friend Joe over at Geektitude. You might discover what your Geektitude is. And now it's time for that wonderful portion of our show that everybody loves. Yeah, when Keith gets to play with a mixer. Oh, I'm impressed. Okay, starting off with episode 167, we got comment from Hamish Downey. And for anybody who doesn't remember, 167, we had a nice little interview with the creator of Geek Girl. And uh, throughout that, there was some references to like Sunset Boulevard, Red Rum to Baby Jane, things like that. And so Hamish had a comment. He uh, In the comment, he included a YouTube video, which we will include in our show notes. But he says uh, that the video belongs uh, – uh, there's a video that's being referenced, and it's more of an homage to Sunset Boulevard. But the Baby Jane reference is at the very beginning of this one particular video, which, again, if you want to see, will be in the show notes for this episode at TGGeeks.com. They also reference Catwoman and from the moon. Catwomen from Cat the moon. Catwomen. Catwomen from the moon! Is that how they said it? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like they should, though. And also, it's the first single from their second album. Ooh. Yes. Any Eric Clapton fans might recognize his backup singer, Marcy Levy, here. She became a huge star because of the group and eclipsed Siobhan Fahey at the time. And they put all that backstage jealousy front and center in the videos. Uh, the song Stay was their biggest hit, which uh, Hamish's believe was a hit in the States as well, but maybe not the number one that it was in the UK. So, and again, the link for that video will be in the show notes at tggeeks.com for this episode. And, of course, uh, we also talked about the Copper Queen, and yeah. we got a comment from the composer, Clint Berzoni, who says, you guys are awesome. I'm so happy you enjoyed the Copper Queen. We really did. Yeah, it was great. And then uh, during uh, last week, we ran a 
it's the weekly article that Hamish Downey. Uh, it's the world famous news. Yeah, world so famous. She... Yeah, morsels of news from Japan and beyond. Issue number nine. And Hamish says, uh, well, I guess Andrea did a share on it. Andrea Richoff, one of our contributors. So Hamish says, thank you, Andrea and TG Geeks. Thanks for the support. I'm not sure about this world famous business, but it sure is good for the old ego. Well, I think it's world famous. No, if it's, it, it if it's international. World, yeah. Yeah, it's world famous. Yeah. And then uh, last Saturday, we ran an article, Social Saturday. It was free comic book day. Mm-hmm. Yep. For 2018, and we got a comment from one of our favorite comic book people. That's Dave Beatty. And he says, thank you for helping spread the word. Any time. And then some time ago, we ran a press release about how a movie that we reviewed, Prodigy, has landed on video on demand. And uh, on Twitter, Darth Paul, I guess he just saw the article. Yeah. Because he just, uh, he just this last week, left a comment saying, really hot. She's so evil. And, of course, he's referring to the prodigy herself. Yes. You need to see the movie in order to understand. And then last Sunday, well, not this last Sunday, but before, we had a Spotlight Sunday on Russ Kazmierzak. Really great guy. And we got a comment from Tommy Cannon on our website. He writes, I love the enthusiasm, energy, and generosity that Ross brings the Phoenix comic book scene. His art and stories are the best thing happening for satire in Arizona. I hope he keeps making comics, singing monkey songs, and organizing great events for decades to come. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Oh, Russ yeah. is awesome. And He's it was, a cool guy. It was great seeing him uh, at the uh, press screening for uh, Infinity War. Yeah. That yeah, was a nice treat. Didn't mean to, I meant to ask him what he thought, but didn't have time. And then lastly... Uh, good friend, Jeannie Koch, she's got her Old Classics Newly Reviewed column that she does every Wednesday for us at tggeeks.com. And this last Wednesday, she did one on the 1977 movie, The Goodbye Girl, starring Richard Drivers and Marsha Mason. And she got a comment from uh, a friend of hers, Anna Teresa Walker-Wooten. Anna Teresa Walker-Wooten? Yeah. Uh, and she That's says, a mouthful. It is. She says, I will keep my memories I loved this movie and the song. And Jeannie Koch replied with, yep, I did too. I still love the song, Laugh Out Loud. Yeah. So uh, you need to read the review. Let's just say maybe this is not one of those movies that holds up. Yeah. And that's our feedback for this week. That's our feedback. And you have we, something to say. Yeah. We want to remind everybody that when you make a comment on our website or a comment on Facebook or Twitter or any place, uh, YouTube, wherever it is, if you make a comment, we reserve the right to edit it if it doesn't play fairly or it crosses the line. So just with that said, please play nice in your comments. And if you can't play nice, you know, just keep it to yourself. Well, you you sound like, you know, what, 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 what is, oh, is that line that I guess Thumper? Has in Bambi. What did I always tell you, Thumper? If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. There you go. So you can comment in all those places, or you can even comment on our listener feedback line. You can call us, and you can leave a comment, and we might even play that on air at 469-TG-Geeks. That's 469-844-3357. And I'm going to say it again. Please play nice. Yeah, baby. They're like two gay geeks. They're together, you know. They're two gay guys and they're geeks. Is that okay? Well, we got something fun to talk about. We had a neat little event uh, happen last Thursday for yeah. us. Yeah, we we got to go to a little event that was... Uh, Sponsored by uh, Stars and uh, the the network, and as well as you know, promoted by Allied Marketing. Allied Marketing, and it was the first two episodes of a brand new series that uh, premiered last night on Stars Network, and it's called Vida, and it's about two sisters that come back to East LA and after the mother has after died, after the mother has died, and. Um, 
it's very interesting. I was... I was it, rather captivated by uh, it. I, was I didn't too. think. I, I mean, it's like it's sort of outside my wheelhouse. I think it's outside yours. But wow, this was a surprise. Yeah, it was, and and it's like I have to know what happens now. And, yeah, and we're gonna have to. It's episodic, so we're gonna have to tune in each week to find yeah, out we'll what to, happens. We're gonna have to probably get the Stars app now. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, subscribe to that. Get another service that we can uh, stream. But uh, this was a fascinating show because, like really I said, it's was. set. It's very contemporary. It's set today. Yep. So and there's a there's a lot of unrest that ex- exists within the Hispanic community. Yeah, it, it's more about uh, the gentrification yeah. of of that portion of town that they live in, and and how that happens. And part of the problem is that they there's people that are taking advantage of the residents of that area and they're giving them money and they're giving them more than what they should for their property. And then when they can't pay, they confiscate their property. Mm -hmm. So it, and and then they tear it down or fix it up and flip it. And then it's beyond what anybody could ever afford there. So they're kind of, you know, it's that whole gentrification thing that happens, and mm-hmm. it's not always a good thing, you know? Not always, especially uh, in areas where there's some kind of, uh, I, I guess you could say economic depression, possibly. Yeah, and that's everywhere yeah. for right now, you know? So it made for an interesting backdrop. But yeah. the story really is about these two sisters and... And all the people that they've the people known that, growing that they, up, yeah. and, you know, and, and uh, it's just, wow. I would <laughs> say that... These these people, I guess, well, I didn't like a single person in this movie <laughs> or in this show. Not one of them. But, I mean, they're not bad people, but, boy, are they deeply flawed. <laughs> exactly. But that's that's part of the attraction. It's like, oh, my God, what the heck is going to happen next? I mean, these, <laughs> these two sisters are a complete and total mess. <laughs> well, yeah, as well as half the people that they know. <laughs> oh, it, it's just, it was, it was crazy. Lots of laughter in the audience. Um Lots of Spanish jokes, I guess. Yeah, there was a, a bunch of stuff. And, and some of the language lost me because I don't speak Spanish that well. And, and I don't know some of the idiom they're right. trying to, you know, some of the things. But And they even poke fun at that. Yeah, yeah. Which was, it, so the, the show, in a way, becomes slightly self-referential. Yeah. Which, to me, is, is a sign of terribly intelligent writing. I was very pleased with this show, and I'm really grateful to Allied for extending the invitation. Yeah, to, for us to see it, and and now I, yeah, as you said, I this is not a show that we would normally follow, but I kind of have to know where this goes. Absolutely. Now. And what's with all the flan? Oh, <laughs> all the flan at a at at, at a at a uh, is a memorial dinner. It's like flan everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and and I get the feeling that. There, this this uh, first two episodes only touched the tip of the iceberg. Oh yeah, about a much deeper issue that yes. um, is only only hinted at in the beginning. Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll see where that goes. Uh, we'll have to pick it up and and watch it, and uh, we'll let you know when we get to the end. <laughs> oh, absolutely! But you know, you know, big kudos to Allied. Yeah, uh, for for uh, putting this on, and a big kudos to Stars for allowing the first couple of episodes to be to be shown in the yeah. theater like and, this. And it's a it's a real bold step. Oh, it, absolutely! It, has, it deals with some. Uh, it's not for. It's not for the the, the faint at heart. <laughs> yeah, and it's not for younger children. Uh-uh, no, either. this this, this is, is a very an adult comedy. This is not comedy, network dramedy, prime time. Drum, yeah. This is so, not network prime time fun stuff to watch. No, this this is for adults. It and it it's very real. Oh, I mean, terribly it, it's real. It's very real because you know I've known some of those people. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, I I, I think in, I actually in work with places some of them. in different places. You know, so uh, it um, it's a very fascinating. It really story. is. It's it's a good study and, at the same exactly. time. I yep. mean, not just of people but of a culture. Absolutely, uh, I I, I think it, I think it's very forward thinking. To, terribly forward to thinking. set it to tell that type of story in that community, you know, 
in that specific place. Especially today. Exactly. I mean, so, it it gives you have the to show. See it for oh, yourself. absolutely! It, there's a, there's an amazing amount of it, it resonates in ways that I didn't imagine. I'm very happy with it. I cannot wait to see more. Yeah. So, thank you, stars. Thank you, allied, and thank you, the creators of Vita. Absolutely. And for those that only listen to this webcast, we do have a website. Shame. Please go to tggeeks.com. We post all kinds of stuff every day. We have a daily schedule that we try to uh, publish something every day, Mm -hmm. if not multiple things on a daily basis. And um, we're going to talk about that right now. Yes. And that one's wrong. Which one? The Sunday. The Sunday? No, that, oh, you're right, it is. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually, well, that was last Sunday. Last Sunday, exactly. Last Sunday. So I'm going Saturday, I'm going Sunday through Saturday. Get Uh, that? uh, No, you've you've completely confused me. No, that, that, well, this was um, the, the last Sunday, not yesterday, but the Sunday before, we did a spotlight on Russ Kazmierzak. And then the day after that, which was Monday, we did uh, episode 167. We also uh, ran a press release. It's for the, it was for the free screening of Vita. And they were kind enough to offer a bag of popcorn and a drink along with that. And then on Tuesday, Keith posted uh, an article about upcoming releases or books to look for. And there's a lot that's coming out, especially in the areas of books. Some really great stuff if you like sci-fi and fantasy. And then on Wednesday... We had the review of The Goodbye Girl, Jeannie's old classics, newly reviewed installment. On Thursday, Andrea Richoff did a three-episode review of The Expanse, season three, and she's calling it phenomenal science fiction. That's forcing us to have to take another look at that show. You realize yeah, that? I know. And then on Friday was issue number nine of News Sushi. Morsels, world famous. World famous. News Sushi, Morsels of News from Japan and Beyond, issue number nine. And then on Saturday which would have been the last Saturday uh, from this recording. There was our social Saturday, a free comic book day 2018. Yeah. You can find all these at tggeeks.com as well as entries on our Facebook page. Please visit and comment. Thank you. As always, our follow-up items, our calendar we have on the website, film festivals. Let us know if you have something that we should talk about or that we should have on the calendar. Send us a note. We'll be glad to talk about it. New books available for pre-order. Beth Cato's Roar of Sky, the third in the Blood of Earth series. It's a great series. It's wonderful. Very strong woman. She writes very strong women in her yes, books. Yes, she does. So um, this is a great series. If you, It's the third in the series. Pick up the first two and read them before this one comes out, and then you'll be ready. And another book for pre-order, The Last Son by Katie Edwards that we you just talked to. You will not regret. You will not regret it. Widget's on the side, and we're going to have them on the, in this article. Phoenix Comic Fest in two weeks, or three weeks, actually, takes place at the Convention Center May 24th through the 27th. Get your tickets. Arizona Opera, their next season is going to be incredible. I'm very They're excited about it already. about doing lots of neat stuff in the future as well, so... Check out azopera.org for everything that they're going to be doing next season and all the things coming up this summer, and to buy tickets. And check out the third edition of Podcasting for Dummies, written by T. Morris and Chuck Tomasi. Go to podcastingfordummies.com. We are huge supporters, as always, of independent creators, whether it's filmmakers, comic book artists, writers. Please buy their stuff. Yep. Support them. Give them money. Do whatever you need to do. Tell people about them. Buy their stuff. Just support them in any way you can. Mm-hmm. Buy their stuff. Buy their stuff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Especially if you do pre-order. Exactly. Yeah. That that always goes well. Special shout out to Doctor Who Talking Who on Twitter, Michael C. Burgess on Twitter, and Human Arkle on Twitter. They each have paper leaves that republish our content. Doctor Who Talking Who's is... The Doctor Who Fancast Guide, Michael C. Burgess's is Byronix Semi-Journal Aggregator, 
And the Human Arcles is the Arkle Times Post Dispatch News. To find Doctor Who Talking Who, go to Twitter and look for at Talking Who. Michael C. Burgess is at Byronic. That's B-Y-R-O-N-I-K. And the Human Arkles is at Arkle. And speaking of Arkle, he has his incorrect Star Trek Voyager quotes on Tumblr. Check it out for a good laugh. Just make sure you're not doing it with your boss looking over your shoulder. And got to give a special shout out to the Facebook group, The Gay Geek, because they allow us to share our content, not just episodes, but sometimes even related stories. So thank you, The Gay Geek. Thank you, Jeremiah Reeves, the moderator, for allowing us to share our stuff there. And you can find them by going to facebook.com slash groups slash The Gay Geek. And you may have to subscribe to it, but it's well worth it. As long as you play nicely there, anybody can join. And they're a great group. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremiah. We want to remind you to occasionally click on our Amazon ads, especially for the pre-order books that we have over there. Please do that. It lets Amazon know that we are getting some traffic uh, from our website to them. And lastly, check us out on iHeartRadio and on Spreaker and Blueberry and rate us on iTunes, review us on iTunes, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Well, we have a couple of things that we can run next week. I'm not sure which one we're going to run, but we will have something exciting for you next time. Mm -hmm. Okay, that should do it for this episode of TG Geeks Webcast. Be sure to check out the article for this webcast episode. We're going to have several links on the page of things we talked about. And remember, you can comment on our Facebook page or our website, tggeeks.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 469-TG-GEEKS. That is 469-844-3357. From TG Squared Studios, I'm Keith Lane. Thanks for listening. I bid you peace. Cheers. <laughs>